I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody man! We will strive for the deoxification of the Let me put it to you! Yes, if you win by one, you've won. The phone went over the side of the phone. It is time to destroy the I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Part of the ACAST Creator Network and also available on Patreon. Hello, I'm Mark Still. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? The amazing Australian comic Barry Humphreys died this week. And in the old days, when someone like that passed away, everyone would say how sad it was and show clips of them being funny. But we've advanced from that. So now what happens is dozens of writers and politicians scream, yeah, I'll tell you what I liked about him. He was a force against woke culture. He wouldn't be allowed on television these days. And they do this with anybody. When Paul O'Grady died, conservative writers declared he was a force against the woke brigade. One of them said, what I loved about him is he wasn't woke in any way. And he wasn't woke in any way, Paul O'Grady. He was always old-fashioned and proud of it and conservative by supporting trans rights and going on daytime TV declaring the conservatives were evil for cutting benefits. So we should take to the streets in our fight against oppression like the French, he said. And he dressed as a woman despite being a man. So in so many ways, he was a scouse Jacob Rees-Mogg. You might as well say, what I loved about Martin Luther King is he never made a fuss about racism. It was just clean, honest fun with Martin, talking about his hilarious dreams. (laughs) These days, he wouldn't be allowed on television. And to conclude from the career of Barry Humphreys that the main thing about him was he was anti-woke shows marvellous imagination. There was probably an obituary in The Spectator that said, Dame Edna Everidge proved above all that Britain's fishing rights were being trampled on by the thieving French. And when he said, how are you, possums? He was sticking two fingers up to the anti-possum agenda of the just-stop-oil idiots. When Hugh Scully, presenter of Antiques Roadshow, died, they probably wrote, if Hugh stood for anything, it was to confront the pathetic, whinging woke brigade who shrieked that grandfather clocks and Victorian musical boxes should be cancelled. Well, Hugh wasn't having any of that. Standing up defiantly to his transgender vegan critics, he looked bravely into the camera and said robustly, so there we have it. It's an Edwardian pepper pot. And it's worth £43. When Stephen Hawking died, I expect they wrote, these days he wouldn't have been allowed to study the effect of collapsed stars on time. He'd have been cancelled for discussing black holes and refusing to call them holes of indeterminate colour with all sorts of gravity and shit. But Stephen just wouldn't stand for that nonsense. Piers Morgan said that he loved Barry Humphreys because he stood up against woke culture. If you occasionally have caused offence with an opinion not shared by a bunch of shrieking, pinch-faced, green-haired vegan activists who last laughed accidentally when still in their nappies, that's the price of a free democracy. And yes, Piers, you're right, because if the character of Dame Edna Everidge stood for anything... It was taking a stand against people who dye their hair a silly colour. One article about Barry Humphreys said his character, the Australian cultural attaché, Sir Les Patterson, wouldn't survive today's woke culture because he was racist, sex-mad and shamelessly vulgar. Well, this is a fair point. 
except that Sir Les Patterson was a character. He wasn't real. They must have watched him thinking, ah, yeah, this cultural attache bloke, he's brilliant. At last, someone is prepared to defy the woke brigade by appearing on television, spilling brandy and wetting themselves and claiming to have a huge penis. But this is the trouble with these people, isn't it? They take everything seriously. And the last time they laughed, they were still in their nappies. The situation in Sudan is extremely worrying, and many people in Britain are understandably concerned, especially this woman who I heard on a phone-in show. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy, sick of it. I saw it on the news. They're flying in all these people from Sudan, thousands of them. I suppose I'll just have to put them up in my living room. And I'll expect they have a camel as well, spitting all over my carpet. I've only just had it cleaned. And I don't know what they eat. I've got some tinned salmon, but that'll barely be enough to fill one hump. Why are they sending them here anyway? They'll only have to fly them back to Rwanda. Why can't they go straight there? It's only round the corner. They can walk. Now they're saying they've flown some of them to Cyprus. Maybe I should start a war with Marjorie and Aldi. Then I'll get flown to Cyprus. What do I want to go there for anyway? You can't move for olives. I saw a programme on the telly yesterday about the American Civil War. I suppose the government's going to decide it's too dangerous for them. And they'll start flying them over as well. I can't have that. Confederates yelling and firing muskets during countdown. And the other lot keeping me awake all night with their songs about John Brown and their Gettysburg addresses. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy. Sick of it. Now, as anybody knows who has ever tried to work out what the fuck is going on, you need expert advice. And something that I have shamefully neglected over the uh, uh, 783 episodes of this podcast so far is that you need expert poetic advice. But all of that is put right today because Mr. Luke Wright, one of Britain's finest poets, in my opinion, is with us right now. Hello, Luke. Hello, Mark. That was what's a nice, nice, nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I should have, if I'd thought about it, I'd have done it in rhyme. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to, the poems don't have to rhyme, they don't have to rhyme. Oh, it's not just, these just, days they don't. No, no, it's all changed, doesn't it? It's got worse. <laughs> Any old fucking thing's a poem now. Yeah. The postman comes around and says, can you sign for that, mate? And that's a fucking poem, he can probably get a grant for it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, where are you at the moment? I'm in the beautiful... Uh, I was going to say cathedral city, but all cities have cathedrals. I'm in the uh, I'm in Canterbury. I mean, it's the best cathedral, and I can see Canterbury yeah. Cathedral from my bedroom window. But I am just staying in the Premier Inn, which is kind of like a home away from home. I always stay in Premier Inns, and it's like then I'm not homesick or sad. I just it's just I mean I am, but you know at least it's familiar, familiar kind of sadness, which is good for us poets. Strangely, the Archbishop, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury often says, "I'm sat or when he's on a podcast. I'm sat here in the cathedral, and luckily I can see the Premier Inn, <laughs> he which does, is the yeah. most. He's famous for saying <laughs> <the> that. Most, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'd rather be there, but they go, no, you've got to stay there for security. You know, who's going to come in yeah. and nick the candles? Yeah, they've got some scaffolding up around the cathedral at the moment, which is a bit disappointing. <laughs> Wherever I go somewhere, there's always scaffolding. Brandenburg Gate scaffolding, Eiffel Tower scaffolding. <laughs> what's the what's the point? <laughs> Wow, imagine being the scaffolder at the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> it's all just scaffolding, really, isn't it, in a way? <laughs> just get some boards yeah, yeah, on there, yeah. then you can, then you can, then you can walk would, up, yeah. <laughs> if it was British, yeah, uh, Eiffel Tower would have been different, would have been full of blokes at the top. 
Darren! Darren! <laughs> no one would have yeah, known it was a tower. Exactly. Well, they should put some boards up at the lower levels and you could get, you could fit more people on it. That's, that's the phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. all on strike, aren't long, they? Uh, probably all are. That yeah. Eiffel Tower would have been another 8,000 foot high. Yeah, exactly. But they've been on strike since 1892 <laughs> when they last built the top bit. You know what they're like? Exactly. There probably was a higher bit and they burnt it down in a protest against the fucking increase of price of cheese. But now, I know I made a request here, which I don't normally do with people who come on here, but I, I saw you one year in Edinburgh and you did something I just thought was so clever, but without in any way being pompous, a poem in which you only used one vowel. Yeah. Well, this is um, <laughs> this is a technique uh, invented by a group of avant-gardist um, writers called um, the Ulipo, and it stands. It's, a, it's an acronym. It's of oeuvre uh, um, um, literature potential, well, and the workshop of potential literature. And they were sort of anti-surrealists. The surrealists were sort of walking around, showing off, going, "Look how free we are!" You know, right, painting right. a horse bigger than a house. Look at me, I'm free. And the Ulipo said, "No, you're not free. You're just obeying rules that you don't understand. You're obeying rules that are sort of you know in your subconscious. Oh. In order to truly free and, and mine the subconscious, you have to place your work under loads of constraints. You have to make it really difficult to say what you would have said. Uh, so the obvious constraint we have in poetry, everyone knows about, is rhyme. We've mentioned it already. Uh, there's also meter. You know, there's various sort of rules. You have know, sonnets, mm. and they they work with rhyme and meter and stuff. So, 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 so the Ula, the Ulipo, um, they came up with these very complicated right. forms of poetry to send you further down to your um, subconscious. And my, my favourite is the univocalism, which is a type of poem that only uses one type of vowel. So you put your vowel at the top. You can do that vowel as much as you like, but you can't do any of the other vowels and you can't right. Y because Y imitates vowel sounds. <laughs> Although in this poem, I am going to use Y, but I'm going to use it as a consonant. So fuck you. Um, so this is, uh, this is an A and it's okay. uh, the first word I came up with. Literally the first word I came up with was, was spad. And I thought, oh, could I write a poem about the nefarious world of backroom politics and the triangulation of money, power and celebrity whilst only using... The spads are the people who are advisors yeah. to yeah. politicians and that. Yeah, 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 yeah sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they're, they're like, you know, yeah, okay. Dominic Cummings was Boris Johnson's spad. And right. uh, it turns out I could write a poem about spads using only one vowel. So this is, uh, this is spad. This is, in my, this is in my new show, which is launched this summer. This is called Spad. At, uh, so just to be clear, it's only got the vowel of A in it. So it's got no E's, I's, O's or U's. I'm sorry if I'm laboring this point, but I'm seeing your faces and no one looks that impressed. It's fucking hard to do this. Okay. So I am really impressed. I'm a, yeah. Okay. Right. At a flash bacchanal, cash fans yak, blackguards, brash gas Arabs, clant scad wags, and naff Granada drama stars. As banal as pyjamas. All blah, 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 class A fast and stab at warm prawn snacks. Parma ham. Gravlax. Lamb shawarma. Small lamb shawarma. As a jazz band taps at jazz standards and sad paps snap all the bland razzmatazz. And what's that? Sam Snark. A spad. A lab spad. A lab spad that charms blackguards and fat cats. Ugh. Karl Marx sad. And Ash Sarkar's aghast. Sam's Alan Moran's bagman. And scandal stalks Alan Moran. All slapdash laws, dark cabals, backhands, carnal acts, cash shags, fat scams, Afghan wars and data shams. And as... Scandal rags lack facts. Alan Moran stands and stands and stands and stands. Back at that ball, 
Sam Snark fast talks a fat cat. What? That's Stan McNabb, past gangland granddad and fat <laughs> bastard, a bad, bad man. Ha ha ha, Stan, no. Ha ha ha. Sam, that's, that's crap, Sam raps. Mark's pa, that's crap, Sam raps. Crap, crap, crap. Alan's mantras, lab's plan A, was a bad plan. Hark, Sam's hand clamped Stan's arm. Hand Alan a bank draft, Stan, and Alan can pass a <laughs> lax tax act? Yeah. <laughs> Yamas. Glass clacks and Sam and Stan lap sham. Sham. Carver. Alas, Raj slap. A scandal rag stalwart stands at that braggard's back and Sam's chats as flagrant as an anthrax attack. Raj scrawls Sam's tall talk, taps at WhatsApp, paragraphs and paragraphs that slam, Alamaran, warts and all. Thanks, man. Raj slaps Sam's back. That's a splash. Ah, that's bad. A sax, cha-cha-chas, as Sam stands haggard. Ash. And a scandal rag a martyr attacks. Hacks trash Alamaran, sack, sack, sack. Alan's grand gaffes or sad ballads at Sam's stark flat. Sam hangs slack. <laughs> Bit dark at the end, isn't it? Oh, um, well, I don't think we liked him. Yeah, no, no. I, I, that was yeah, that's superb. I can't. <laughs> keep on. I, I, it's absolutely superb, and I so many brilliant. I think. Ash Sarkar's aghast. <laughs> well, do you lax- know what? That never gets and- a laugh unless you're in Bristol. <laughs> do you know, in Bristol, they fucking like, uh-huh, we know who that is. But everywhere else, they go, what? Norovira what? Neurovirus media. <laughs> That's the one when you shit yeah. and puke at the same time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I'm glad, I'm glad you've also- got Ash Sarkar's aghast. <laughs> and Lax Tax Act. Yeah, Lax Tax Act. I think is my other faint. That is so... <laughs> Uh, that is so good. Now, we were also going to talk about uh, something, uh, well, well we were, we were sort of chatting yeah. about, what to, about what to talk about. <laughs> we said, well, we could talk about the um, about Diane Abbott and about the Labour lead sort of diminishing a little mm. bit from a, from a ridiculous amount to, to what would normally be quite a lot, but it, yeah. you know, certainly going down. And uh, I think we agreed that that is funny. I mean, it's, it's like, the mo- it's are, we, are, we, are we ahead in the polls? Right, shit, right. You're more racist than I am. No, you're more racist than I am. Oh, look, look, yeah. we dropped a point. Brilliant, say it again. Why do we keep calling each other racist? It's just, like, what the fuck? It's so, you know, I, mean, I understand these things, but, you know, it's it's this argument is just, it's so unnecessary. Uh, yeah, it's really... I think all wings of the left do seem to cherish losing yeah i think um i used to i remember sort of well well this was obviously 30 years ago and oh, an impression that i could do which i could do back then which was neil kinnock which was probably very few people would remember and i i remember sort of saying that with kinnock you thought even if he was 50 percent ahead in the polls and it was 10 <laughs> minutes to the election it's he'd just go yeah. one more thing i <laughs> if we are elected I will personally stab everybody in the bollocks. <laughs> they just couldn't. And, 
<laughs> and just lose. And um, and I just sort of there's something about about this situation. Why? What I find, I don't know what you think about this, Luke. I mean, whether you're whether you're in whichever faction of the Labour Party, and I suspect most people are in the faction that they just go, I just want Labour to win. That's win, what yeah. I. That's what I hear from people who don't agree, even who people who were big, big fans of Corbyn, but they'll go, oh, I just want them to win. That's so, yeah. so whatever. Yeah, but what fashion. I hear mostly is people going, I don't know why they're doing this. Exactly what you've just said. Why are they doing this? <laughs> they're doing this. Yeah. Why? Oh, well, that's, that's a, look at that toxic debate over there. I'm, I'm just going to go. They're like the Steve Irwin of, of politicians. They're like, oh, that looks fucking dangerous. <laughs> I'm just gonna wait and stick my hand in this hole until it fucking bites me. Oh, it bit me! <laughs> Look at this, the little anti, the anti-Semitism stingray. Let's have a little look at this fucker. <laughs> this problem has besieged the Middle East for sixty years. Destroyed. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can sort bit. it out in five. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking jab it with me cock. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is that is the, that is the Monday Labour Party right there. Well, not just the Labour Party, the left generally. The left, <laughs> just like that Steve Irwin, fucking. And and you know what? I, 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 I wonder if it, one day they're going to meet the Stingray, aren't they? And then and then you know that'll yeah. be Rishi Sunak because Rishi Sunak, unfortunately, is. He's he's kissed Armour's worst nightmare because he actually he's he's playing the same card, isn't he? He's like he's like I'm competent, I'm boring, you know. We've mm. all had enough, mm. you know. And so that was kissed Armour's best card was that that we'd had enough of the the mental people, and um, now we could just be a bit more sensible, and more grown up. And he's got that one, you know. He, it, whether we agree or whatever, he, he look he, yes. he comes across that way to the average voter. So we, we, Labour needs. It's to- a very good point. That is a really good point. It's such a simple, but like all the best points. It's. Yeah. It's so simple. You think, why aren't more people saying that? Well, Richard no, Sunak's gone. Because, because most people yeah. engage with politics on mm. that simple level because they've got shit going on. Mm. They've got, you know, they've got they've got a chicken in the oven. They're like, oh well, yeah. he, they, well, he looks whatever. Yeah, you know, and that's the problem. The problem to write about politics. Think about politics all day. That's what, that. That's really creepy and weird. Like most people don't do that. So, so they, they sort of miss. They miss what's yeah. going on in the real world. You know. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's very true, and I think Diane Abbott. I mean, clearly, you know, clear. I don't think this is that controversial. Clearly, there is a section within the Labour Party that has thought, "Oh, we can use this Diane Abbott letter to uh, further attack the left," yeah. and that's what yeah. they're using it for. And they're not, they're not particularly bothered one way or the other about the issue, but they just think, "Oh, here's a little weapon that's landed in my." by hand, I think that there is no doubt about that. And there's all sorts of people in the Labour Party who've said things more ridiculous than, or as ridiculous as what she said, because what she said was ridic- clearly ridiculous. But, mm. um, uh, but, but yeah, they're going to use... a so- faction now. On one side, there's people who... Um, who uh, who think uh, who, who like who 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 hate black racism the worst? Right, that's that's their side. And there's other people who hate anti-Semitism the worst. And they seem to be like, but you know, if you ask any of these people, that they hate all their racism. But but if you if you just take a snapshot from Twitter, mm. it's people going, well, this is worse. You know what? No, it's all what about me? What about this though? It's like, yeah, but uh, it's just. Yeah. You know, and, and finally, the slightest thing, someone said, um, responding to it, and they, they, they said anti-Semitism, and then they put in brackets, um, you know, tra- travelling communities as well. And someone went, you use brackets to talk to, you, your brackets makes you think, you, you've, 
Look at the brackets making you care less about it. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, really? We're arguing about parentheses now. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. One final question. Luke, where mm-hmm. can people come and see your wonderful show? Uh, so I'm touring the, the, the third of my plays uh, about politics. This is called The Remains of Logan Dankworth. Um, and I'm doing it. Ooh, I'm up in uh, all, all the dates on my website. Um, but I've got about 12 more dates of that. And then I've got this new show called Luke Wright's Silver Jubilee, in which I attempt to celebrate my 25 years as a poet and end up doing an, an introspective show about my adoption. Uh, so there's lots to unpack there as well. Um, so that'll be launching in the summer. Uh, shows at Latitude and First Light and then off to Edinburgh on a big tour. So all my stuff's on my website. All up. Comes to Mark, me live. Fancy doing a show about adoption. What were you thinking? <laughs> so, uh, thank you very much, Luke, uh, for explaining to us what the fuck is going on. Thank you. As you know, we like to get all sorts of views on this podcast. So, here once again is the master of gently teasing out opinions without ever once libeling anyone. Mike Concrete. Right, with us next, we've got uh, Brandon Pickford, Lord help us. Oh, he's a poet. He's been going around schools encouraging kids to learn the value of words or something. I can think of a word for him. <laughs> hello, Brandon. Uh, uh, hello, Mike. Uh, I'm glad you're a fan of words. That's why it's so exciting to go around schools experiencing the enthusiasm of these kids. Do you teach any maths in these classes? That's what they need more than poems, isn't it? Well, they, they do maths in the maths class, Mike, which, you know, which is also very important. What about history? Like 1940, when we stood alone and the rest of the world bottled it. Do you teach them that? Well, again, Mike, I think history is more of a subject that they would learn in history class. So what sort of poems are you teaching them? Well, there's so many. Uh, the, the one that always thrills any child is uh, We're Going on a Bear Hunt by Michael Rosen. Oh, right. I like the sound of that one. Is it about someone shooting a bear and taking a picture of himself standing on it? <laughs> no, well, if you're not familiar, it starts uh, We're Going on a Bear Hunt, and it uses words such as squelch and squirch and squelch and squirch. Oh, great. Does it go squelch, squirch, squelch, squirch? Bang! Got him. <laughs> No, my, I think it's, it's, it's about the, the beauty of those words. Do your poems even rhyme? Poems shouldn't have to rhyme, Mike. You, Here's one you I saw that rhymes. <laughs> I love the rhyme on this. I can't stand Italy. I can't stand France. But the one that really gets on my wick is Bulgaria. France doesn't rhyme with Bulgaria. Yes, it does. See ya, Brandon. That's enough of that, idiot. No wonder my clutch has gone. Here's Tucker Carlson with Cluedo Tip of the Day. Thank you so much to all those of you who are now supporting us on Patreon. It is because of you that we can continue our quest to find out what the fuck is going on. And we're very nearly there. If you'd like to join these wonderful, virtuous, radiant souls for as little as two pounds a month just follow the link on our twitter page or go to www.patreon.com www.patreon.com and type in what the f is going on or to really be in the advanced guard of people finding out what the fuck is going on for four pounds a month you will get a longer ad-free version of the episode with extended interviews bonus sketches and this week, for example, for the very first time, we're joined by the most patriotic British person ever to be born, 
Nigel Boulevard. And you'll get the episodes on Friday nights, unlike everybody else who has to wait until Saturday morning, screaming in a psychiatric ward, wondering when the morning will come round. So go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on to join the WTF community. And now, podcastees, it is the highlight of anybody's week. It's the announcements they, uh, that come. I mean, I, they used to be. I don't know when we became awash with announcements about be careful that it's muddy, so please, therefore, beware of the mud. And there's, if you see anything that's at a different angle from it normally is, please contact the security angle police who will come down and check whether it's been put in a different angle by ISIS. Uh, all of that. Used to get proper announcements in the old days, like Britain is now at war with Germany. Things like that. One week, I'm going to do a proper announcement on here, like um, it, Britain has been taken over by uh, Cyprus. Something like that. And at last, the announcement section will be paying its due. But, oh, I, here's some announcements. Right, so I've got some live shows. I'm doing this, this tour that will go on for a few more weeks yet. And uh, in particular, where shall I mention in particular? So uh, come to Brighton on June the 3rd. There was a dodgy moment uh, during the penalty shootout when, I'll be honest, I was a little bit selfish and I thought, oh, if Brighton are in the final here, it's on June the 3rd, the day that I'm at Theatre Royal and people aren't going to go, are they? <laughs> That's a terribly selfish way to think. Um, but... Uh, anyway, Brighton aren't in the final uh, because Solly March it is penalty over the bar. So, uh, uh, June the 3rd, Theatre Royal, please come to that. Or you can come to, uh, on May the 26th, to Croydon Fairfield Halls. It's about, oh, I don't know about the last 100 tickets there, I think. Uh, or, oh, I don't know, t- Lancaster, because that one was put in late. You can come to that one. Can't remember quite when that is. 17th of June, I think. And Telford. There you are, Telford. I don't think I've ever done a show in Telford since I did an awful benefit there once about 35 years ago for a f- cause that I can't remember. And I very much oh, went down the toilet because it was an awful benefit. So, uh, Telford, please come to that one on t- June the 23rd, I, I think that is. Um yeah, any of those. Oh, Hackney Empire, June the 8th. Yeah, come along to that. People always buy tickets late there, so if you get one there now, um, you'll definitely get well, you'll get in at all of them if you've got a ticket, but you know what I mean. Now, people have been getting in touch with us on our Patreon account, as well as on Twitter, wanting to know what the fuck is going on with certain things and asking for my very, very scantily qualified expertise. Paul Granger, one of our Patreon supporters, says... On feedback on BBC Radio 4 this week, a caller rang, <laughs> I confess I didn't hear this, a caller rang to complain about our new comedians these days always have to shout. I don't, yeah, that can be very annoying, shouting comedians. Who did the producers use to illustrate this point? Alexi Sale and Mark Steele. Now, I am, first of all, absolutely honoured to be in such wonderful company as Alexi Sale. But new comedians. That is also very flattering. And Alexi's about 10 years older than me. That is that is class, Paul. Well done for spotting that. <laughs> new comedian. That's what happens to that's there's a sort of Radio 4 thing there, isn't there? You can imagine a, a program in which they say here on Radio 4, it is often commented that we are not in touch with some of the more uh, modern 
newer forms of music that have been entertaining uh, youth uh, over the last few years. And that's why, to redress that, there now follows an hour of Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There's about seven generations of... My son isn't even a new comedian. That's fantastic. Clevedon Literary Festival at Clevedon Don... Oh, sorry. What? Look at that. Clevedon Literary... This is how much of a new comedian I am. I can't read the word Clevedon because it's written as a sort of modern Twitter handle. And uh, therefore, it confused. That's how much of a new comedian I am. I'm the person who sits here going, how does, what, you need to turn it on, Dad. Turn what on? Turn Twitter on. Clevedon Literary Festival at Clevedon Lit Fest. Ask, I'm wondering why the government clapped for the nurses but are now planning on taking them to court. Did we miss something? Well, we did miss something, which is that those claps weren't gifts. They were lending them the claps, and now the lockdown is, what, 18 months, two years over, and they want them back. And I think that's what the court case is going to be about. It was a loan, and it's estimated that the government gave the medical profession something like 5 billion claps over the, the course of the three months or so that we were doing it every Thursday, and now they want them back. And that's fair enough because, oh, the, as the bank's chief economist uh, as pointed out, the less we have, the better off we are. And so they, they should just, and so that's what needs to happen. And the nurses have just steadfastly refused. They've just taken it. I don't know what they used the claps on. They probably went that holidays and things. And every Thursday for 79 years, every single member of the medical profession profession should stand outside their, uh, their little rented apartment that they may or may not be able to afford on their wages and clap for nine hours for grant shaps. Nine and a half, actually, because there's interest to be paid. Now, also, <laughs> I put out something on Twitter uh, about the snooker. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to start talking about the safety play of... Um, Barry Hawkins or something like that. But I will say this. There is a, a tradition in snooker over the last few years that snooker players should have their own little rhymes. Some of them have got them and not all of them. And this is what has upset me, really. So, uh, <laughs> right, I put on here, uh, because, right, there's a, there's a snooker player who's, one of the top snooker players of all time, called Mark Selby, and he's from Leicester. And therefore, his nickname is the Jester from Leicester. And it's pathetic, because there, there's nothing jesterful about it. In fact, he's a very depressive figure. If it was ironic, it would make sense. He's quite miserable, but he's called the Jester from Leicester. But just because he comes from bloody Leicester, you might as well call him the Sou'wester from Leicester, even though Sou'wester's whereby sailors and Leicester's in the middle of the country, or anything. So... I put on Twitter, all the snooker players need a rhyme, like the jester from Leicester, such as, if he can score a break of 80 or above, he will, he's Anthony McGill, or his safety play is more reliable than a pantomime starring Christopher Biggins, it's John Higgins. Now, <laughs> loads of people have sent me their suggestions. Uh, I don't know, you might not know the snooker players involved, but I think you'll, I think you'll, I hope you'll accept that, you know, as this is, there's a rhyming theme to this week's podcast. 
that they offer something to the English uh, cultural literary oeuvre. Dan Almond says, uh, suggests, he doesn't openly fret like Coronation Street's Mavis. He pots balls and keeps cool. It's Steve Davis. Barry Rowlinson suggests, and I don't get this, but I still think it's brilliant, in a 4D space-time with a metric defined by Minkowski E equals MQ squared, it's Jack Lisowski. Q spelt C-U-E, get it? Uh, I don't, I guess Minkowski's a physicist. I hope he's not some Romanian fascist that we're promoting. Andy Scholes suggests he can't wait until the mid-session interval for a P. He's Ding Junhui. Simon Travers, his pots are tastier than a prawn cocktail volavant. It's Ronnie O'Sullivan. It's not quite there, is it? But it's probably as close as you're going to get with Royce, uh, with Ronnie Sullivan, uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, and um, Gray W79. Don't know the real name, Twitter name, uh, and I. This might be the winner. He snorts loads of shite. It's Jimmy White. <laughs> I'm very easily amused. Now, if you want to work out what the fuck is going on in these tempestuous times, you need to speak to people not of your own generation, not just people who are like 25 minutes younger than you, but so much younger than you that they are your son. That is why I bred Mr. Elliot Steele some years ago with this podcast in mind. Hello, Elliot. Hello. Right Now, last week there was a big Extinction Rebellion march in London. I didn't know it was happening, other than that I stayed with uh, uh, Mr. Miles Juppin because I had a show in Monmouth where he lives, and his wife and son had gone up to it, and I didn't even know about it. And I felt a little bit ashamed that I didn't know about it. Did you? Uh, what, did, what are you all thinking about that? I, I didn't know it was on. Are you a fan? Of Extinction Rebellion? Yeah. They're winning me round. They've got they've got to pull it off at the coronation. We're recording this pre-coronation. Yeah. That's 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 Euro final going for a penalty. That's Saka <laughs> stepping up to take the penalty. You need to you need to just bury this in. We both know. I did a bit on stage last night. Uh, I think I'm going to put it out during the coronation. I was just oh Jesus Christ! Are we going to have to move to Italy? I said that now enough time has passed from the Queen's funeral. Can we finally admit when we were all watching it, we wanted them to drop the coffin? <laughs> now that we've now that we've all sort of moved on a little bit, can we admit we wanted her to drop out? And then the BBC commentators would be like, "There she is, Her Majesty, flailing on the floor, marking <laughs> uh, the end of an era." <laughs> Well, it would have been it would have been quite a moment, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you're too young to remember this, but the Ayatollah Khomeini that happened because everyone went wild when the Ayatollah Khomeini, who, um, mm. uh, yeah, he 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 dropped out, I think. And um, really, yeah. Well, I think the coffin. I don't think the actual Ayatollah dropped out, but the coffin the coffin dropped because everyone was sort of going berserk and trying to. Oh, to, yeah, but yeah. They, yeah, but over there, everyone's trying to grab it. Yeah, they're all trying to grab it. Yeah, which we is bit, we queue we over here. We're a civilized society. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon about the snooker then? What about about just stop oil jumping on the snooker table and it's, covering it in orange? It's very funny, and uh, I, I will. Uh, the, the best take I saw on it was Gareth War, uh, who had a very good tweet that went viral, and uh, Gareth War said. Uh, Britain, you know, it was basically along the lines of Britain watching France. Why don't we do that? 
that we should be doing this, and then someone disrupts the snooker. My God, that's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I've, I've, I've butchered it. I've butchered it. Go yeah, yeah, look yeah. at Gareth Warren and see his actual tweet. It's very, very good. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, and I speak as a, you know, as, you know, uh, as people know, I'm a devotee of the snooker. I can quite happily spend the whole three weeks watching the Crucible snooker. But uh, I wasn't watching that one live, but uh, I wish I was. That'd be... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll be I'll be honest. I can see that if you're not a snooker fan watching the snooker, and and then with someone like me, and then I'm going, no, but you've got to watch this. This is amazing because he's he's cleared up from being 58 points behind with a difficult blue on the cushion. That's usually the most exciting bit mm-hmm. of the snooker. Yeah. So for the most exciting bit of the snooker to be a bloke diving on a table <laughs> like a marmoset and covering it in orange dust. Well, yeah, and also, like, we all have to admit, we all enjoy, like, a streaker at a sports event or someone running onto the pitch. It's funny, Mm. right? So if there's a slight, like, political motivation to it, 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 then that's fair enough. That's quite funny. It's weird that the the Football Away Days Twitter account, which is, like, an account uh, ran by morons for morons, um, about people in Stone Island throwing a firework into a disabled stand and then saying, this is British culture, what's not to love about it? Right, right. And that sort of nonsense you get at the football. Because that's, that's like a thing that happens now. I see more and more at the football is people talking. Did I, have I ever told you about the time I got chatting to those two ex, like, well, they say they were ex-hooligans in, in the pub. Mm. And one of them was like to me, like, oh, it was just better back in our day because you could go down to the football and have a scrap. And I was like, <laughs> Right, but I I don't want to be in a scrap at the football. <laughs> I just want to watch the football. So I'd, I'd actually say that that's better, <laughs> that you can't. And my mate who I was with, Matt, was like, Elliot, Elliot, was taking me aside going, Elliot, basic South London talk here. Don't start your <laughs> sarkiness. And then one of them tried to tell me, that he was the inspiration for Wolf of Wall Street, like what his, <laughs> what, what his, what his, he was, he was working in a firm in in uh, Madrid, and he was going, yeah, and it was like real Wolf of Wall Street stuff, and like they took bits of that, for the fit. and I was like, no, but that's based on an actual guy called Jordan Belfort. He wrote a book, <laughs> and then he was like, no, they, ba-, and I was like, no, that's that's <laughs> they didn't make that story up. That happened. That was the that was the base that that guy exists. That's why Leonardo DiCaprio plays him. They haven't just made him up on on you. You know that uh, film, right? That uh, Will, where Will Smith was Muhammad Ali. That's based on me. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used to go down to football and I used to get in some right scraps. I used to squat hooks, jabs. I could do all of them, and I they saw that, and then. Uh, I was a bit annoyed, really. I was like, no, get, get, make a do, but they got Will Smith anyway. <laughs> when I was about 15, I used to sort of go to various uh, football matches that I could that I could get to. And it was so cheap. I mean, it was really cheap to get in. And I went down. I don't know why I didn't support either team, obviously. So I went down to see Charlton Gillingham with a two or three mates because it was quite because it was at Gillingham and it was quite easy to get to and stood in the Charlton end. I had no allegiance to Charlton whatsoever. I want to very very hastily add. Mm. So I would just sort of stood there with two or three mates and there would always be a scrap. There would mm. always be like this fight would break out and if you didn't want to be part of it, which I really didn't, then you just sort of move away. And it was just a normal, it was just now, it seems something, it was mad. Mm. You'd be like 100 people just fist fighting and you just sort of move away. But weirdest thing, like 
like if you're in a field and you think, oh, them cows are getting a bit near, I better move. It was like that. And then it was about five, ten minutes before the game. And then suddenly loads of people were going, let's take the Gillingham end. <laughs> and I thought, what? Oh, I don't want to take the Gillingham end. And, uh, and then they just all jumped over this little tiny fence that was about two foot and started running across the actual pitch, just <laughs> running across it. And there was just about 10 of us left there. And I thought, oh, I suppose I'd better go. And I sort of, I just clambered over this fence and just walked across the pitch. And so inadvertently, I was part of taking the Gillingham end. And I I feel quite ashamed of that, really. I think when I when I get to the St. Peter's Gate, I think it, that's one of the things I'm going to have to atone for. Well, then, yeah. Mr. Still. It says here that you took part in taking the Gillingham in. <laughs> Do you remember when you pushed over the steward? All oh, right, now that was different. <laughs> <laughs> then, also, I know what you're going to bring up next. When I threw a firework into the disabled section, Dad. but but he, he had bit. He had tried to run over my foot with his wheelchair. So <laughs> fuck him. Yeah, you you pushed over a steward once. Yeah, no, he was, he was, uh, he, I know why. Do you remember why? Do you, have I told I, you why? I, well, I was free, so I don't <laughs> yeah. remember why, but I know of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you had a little ladybird that used to drag around on a, on wheels. <laughs> I still do. You still got it? No, of course. <laughs> no. <laughs> Look, when have you ever seen me since then with a ladybird? I don't know. It just struck me it was possible. I don't know. I don't go to all your gigs. Maybe well, you walk on stage like carrying a ladybird. Like, hey, we like any of them. Why is he always dragging <laughs> a toy ladybird, Mark? Like, is he, he on the spectrum? With, is he, the, is it with the ladybird. And we tried to take it off him and he went, no! no! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the, um, you, you had a ladybird and there was a little patch of grass. It's, you can't go on there now. There was a little patch of grass just by. So you used to sort of, I used to sort of sit there with you until you got fed up. It might be 10 minutes. It might be halfway through the second half, depending on your mood or whatever. It was three, you know, so I was pushing your luck, really. And then you, uh, it was clear you weren't, you didn't want to stay anymore. And it was sort of, I think it was just into the second half. And you would pull in the ladybird along and then this steward come up and went, uh, right, you, you can't, you can't have that. And he went to take it. And uh, I said, mate, he's three. Let him have his ladybird. Uh, I am telling you, know, when a vicious <laughs> steward, I am telling you. And I said, mate, please, please do not, do not, do not take the ladybird off my three-year-old son. There is nowhere in the world. I can't remember exactly how the conversation was. It was something like that. And then he snatched the ladybird and I, uh, and I, sort of pushed him and he fell over and then a load of people had seen it from the stand and started singing still you lose you in a fight do you lose you in a fight <laughs> that's actually what Taken's based on <laughs> exactly now listen son you can just give back your ladybird <laughs> or I will pursue your ladybird I have a particular set of skills um, I'm going to have to go because I've got to go get a train to Liverpool. Right, you go to Liverpool and uh, you get in a you get in a in a fight with the Scousers. No, and, no well, uh, I'm going there to do their bloody favourite podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think they're doing marginally more sales than us. And uh, yeah, and when you get back, that you can say that that's what 
your trip to Liverpool was what the magnificent men in their flying machines was based on. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, then just accept that there is something deeply, deeply flawed in your psyche and get over it by forcing yourself to write a review. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod at WTF is going on pod. And we will look at every message that you send. If you would like to become a WTF supporter and get early access to ad free extended versions for as little as two pounds a month, please visit our Patreon page. What the fuck is going on was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Luke Wright and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Luke Wright. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. Music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell. What the fuck is going on was brought to you by WTF Productions. WTF.